You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Well, hey, it's good to be back. I was supposed to be up last week and, you know, just sickness. So here we are. Family's doing great. I'm really thankful for Randall um, in many ways. Um, mostly because he gives me great material to make fun of someone all the time. But um, no, he's just great. Uh, and he's away this weekend. Uh, he's been away with some friends doing like a yearly trip. So really thankful for him. So if you think about him, just send a prayer for him that uh, he's just resting and having a good time. Um, but yeah, we are on the third word of 10 of the 10 words, a third commandment. Uh, so again, like Jesse said, I hope uh, you're reimmersing yourself into the series, into the Exodus story, into the Ten Commandments. And there's, of course, as you can imagine and probably know, there is so much material that you can read or listen to or watch on the Ten Commandments. It has been around for a while, and there have been a lot of brilliant minds that have thought about this kind of thing. In fact, when I got this passage and I knew mine was going to be the third one, Randall hands me a book that's, that was some doctor's dissertation on this specific uh, one. So let's be honest. So I'm not the one that's going to exhaust all the facts about uh, the third commandment today, but I think there's a lot that we can um, look at and kind of parse through that we can understand this a lot more because I think it gets very simplified into a, a way of living and a way of not saying certain things um, that maybe misses the point of, of what it is. So first, uh, let's look at the phrasing, the name of, your, of the Lord your God. Okay, going back to Exodus 3, the burning bush story, we know it well. Moses is interacting with God. There's this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed, and God speaks to him. God tells Moses to go to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh, and to talk to the Israelites, actually, to talk to the Israelites first, not just Pharaoh. Um, and this is their interaction. This is Exodus 3.13. Moses says to God, But if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, God says to Moses, the famous line, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So what is God's name as revealed to Moses? Well, it is the God of your fathers, right? And it was kind of simplified this divine name that was called Yahweh. Right? That was the name of the God in Israel. In fact, it was so sacred and so divine that the people wouldn't speak it. The people would not say it, and through their own language, they came up with this other word, this way to say it, and it came out to be the Lord. So when they say the Lord or the Lord's name, they're meaning this divine name, the I am. Right? Today in our Western world, names are, are, are either less significant, they're, they're cute, you know, and they don't have a lot of uh, meaning behind it, or if they have a little bit of meaning, it's like cool and it means something. Um, but obviously, ancient Israel, names were very definitive. And, and as I'll argue today, names always had an identity and a destiny. Okay, names had an identity and a destiny. So before we get, look into this passage today, we need to look at the place of where this commandment is, because God put these in specific 
order. So what, became, what came before this commandment? We just read it. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, right? Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, right, on the earth, on the sea, in the, in the air. And this is important and easy to miss. Part of that is you shall not bow down to them or serve them, okay? So it's not just about not having or making idols, but it's bowing down and worshiping these idols. Now think about this. Why would someone worship something they made? Right? Doesn't that seem a little bit backwards? Like, shouldn't the created thing worship the creator? Doesn't that seem? And, and something is already cueing us into the nature of mankind, right? What's crazy is right here, this kind of deep psychological theology of the ways of man that the problem was and always has been the worship of self. So, of course, when people make something in their own image, to worship that thing in a weird way is to worship themselves, right? It comes right back to the, because it's made in their image. Now, we were just let in on two little secrets, okay? I don't want to shock anybody here. First, there are other gods out there. Now, gods meaning little g gods, okay? We can't exhaust this topic. If you're like, whoa, man, I'm going to throw something at you. Let's, let me buy you coffee first. Let's talk about it. But uh, if God was the only spiritual deity, it, that was it, then why this command? Why no other gods before me, right? Is, it, is he just proactively saying, hey, if you, if you ever run into anybody like me, I don't know, but if you ever do, don't bow down to them, right? Right, this, it, it's not, we don't have, again, the time to dive into, like, what does that mean, and what do little gods mean, and what's the spiritual realm, and all this kind of stuff, but it's abundantly clear in the scriptures that there is an almighty good creator God who made everything, right? And then there are lesser spiritual beings who desire to steal worship away from him, okay? Secondly, we can talk more about that on our own time. Secondly, these gods have images as representations of themselves, okay? Typically, it's a statue or a temple, or sometimes it can be found in like a prophet-type person who represent that god and their will, now, remember, these gods are always lesser than the one true God, Yahweh. Always lesser, never equal. When the people were in Egypt, they saw everybody around them having a little g-god for every aspect of their life. Okay, so there was a little g-god for their money or their wealth. There's a little g-god for their food or their prosperity. There's a little g-god for their childbearing, right? All, they had all these little gods. Not one god could cover all but all these gods would cover little aspects of their life. The Israelites at Sinai here, when they were given the commandments, they were born into this Egyptian way. Remember, they were slaves for over 400 years, so this was what they were born into. Like the culture around them preached the gospel that there is a God for anything that they want, and if they sell their soul to it, they can have it, right? So they watched Egyptian after Egyptian, day after day, bow down and worship these idols representing these different gods for whatever they desire. But now the people are with this one true almighty living God who is with his people. Here we see Yahweh's presence in the Exodus story with Moses on the mountain. He is with his people. The presence of the one true living God who has no equal is enough, and it should be enough. There's no need for a pantheon of little g-gods for these people to cover all the aspects of life because Yahweh will be the God of all, okay? 
So he says, you don't have to have those other gods before me. I am enough and don't have their representation as an image. These images were like gateways to what it represents. Okay, they invoked thoughts, desires, habits based on the object that it represents. And each image is designed specifically in looks and feel to the corresponding deity. Okay, you guys tracking with me? Remember last week, or actually now two weeks ago, when we talked with the golden calf story, right? It's very famous. We all know the golden calf story. Worshiping a calf image was very prevalent in Egypt. So when the Israelites down on the mountain, they've never seen God. What they're seeing is a smoke and fire and mountain. Like, how do you make an image to that? It's already incredible, right? When the Israelites tried to think what holy image, remember Aaron actually wanted to make it for God, what holy image could we make in that would represent this God. They thought about what they were raised with, and they came up with this calf, right? This calf, this was the image that meant God to them, right? This, the image named the deity, right? The image represented what they were worshiping. Or you could even say the idol was shaped in the identity of their God. But then God, here in this commandment, he seems to make a switch to himself. Okay, so he says, no other gods before me, no carved images, and now you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Does that seem like a switch? Does that seem just like, wait, what? Right? So let's get this clear. So don't go bow down to other gods. Don't carve idols representing them because that will in turn lead to bow down to them. And then, of course, don't swear, chew, or date girls that do. Right? Is that, that's how I was raised, right? As we look at it, to boil this command down to just don't be a potty mouth is quite simplistic and, and a bit off base. Of course, absolutely, we learn later, and there's scriptures all over the place, but two very famous and very common ones. Paul, Ephesians 4, 21, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and of course, Philippians 2.9, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There's a thousand I could have quoted, right? It doesn't take a theologian to know on a basic level why you shouldn't demean or use God's name as a profanity. Okay, that's not what it's there for. It's foolish. The lightning probably won't strike you dead if you misuse God's name every day in a derogatory way, but think about it. If you use a name every day in a derogatory name, what kind of relationship do you think you have with this thing that you're talking about, right? But using a name is not just about language, right? Let's look at this. The NIV translated this passage, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, right? Okay, so misuse. So that's a little bit tough because like, what does it mean? What does it mean to use a name? I don't know. It's kind of a little bit up to interpretation, okay? The ESV, which we love here at Hub City, it's a, it's a little bit better, a little bit different. You shall not take the name of the Lord your, your God in vain. It's a little better, but it's, again, it's kind of weird. Take for us means that we actually, like, physically took it or, like, we removed it from God. Like, now he has no name, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, of course, nothing is better than the original Hebrew. So there's this word, nesa, which means to bear or to carry, Okay, this changes it a bit, right? To bear or to carry a name is much more than just simply using a name or taking a name, right? It's representative and it's identity shaping. So let's talk about this real quick. What's in a name? What's in a name? Do names have power, right? Okay, think about some modern media things, right? If I had a wand up here, 
right? And I was around and I was like, the, the he who must not be named is, who said it? You're not supposed to say it. You're not supposed to say it. Just kidding, just kidding. I led you to that one. Or like, hey, I can say this because I, I read the books. I didn't just see this little show that came out, but The Wheel of Time, highly recommend the book series. It's incredible. But there's this like dark power, the dark one they called, they call him, and his name in the books is Sh- Shaitan. Shaitan. And there's this thing that if they speak it out loud, even I'm a little bit <laughs> wary, if you speak it out loud, something bad could happen. Like all of a sudden shadows come and all this kind of stuff, right? And of course, which brings up the phrase that we all know, speak of the devil and he shall appear, right? It's very famous. People say it all the time. And before Bain frightened a football stadium of people, this saying goes back to very real time. In the 16th century, there was actually a prohibition on saying the devil's name because he literally might appear. So there's power, right? There's, there's stigma. There's power in names. Of course, in ancient Israel, names were revelatory of identity and destiny, right? The deep nature of something was its name. Let's look at one example here. Abraham, okay? Genesis 12:1. The Lord says to Abram, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abram means exalted father, okay? Exalted father. He was a stand up just person in the, in the community. He was the father of the people group that God was going to start his journey with. Now, sometime later, God comes again to Abram and makes a covenant with him. Okay, this is much bigger. Makes a covenant with him and his lineage forever and this great nation of people, Genesis 17:3. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. What do you think Abraham means? Father of many nations. Same guy, right? Did he get new DNA? Did his body change? Maybe he grew a bigger beard, I don't know. But same guy, but new identity and new destiny, right? You could trace this with almost any name of significance or place throughout the scriptures. Names were not just chosen because they were on the top 40 of cutest names, right? They were chosen for identity and destiny. So God's name, Yahweh, the I am, is before the nation of Abraham's descendants on this mountain making another covenant with them. But instead of saying, don't speak my name for it's just too holy for your unclean human lips, He says, don't speak my name in vain. Don't just utter it flippantly. He says, use it well. You can't use my name without also announcing my identity and my destiny, which is to have a people and to be their God forever. Now let's talk about the word vain. The Greek is a lot like our English, right? And it's the definitions there are like futile, pointless. It was all in vain, you know? English, obviously, is very heavily influenced from Greek, but the original language, again, in Hebrew, vain is translated more to worthlessness or falsehood. That changes things, right? If the powerful name of God is used in a worthless manner or used in a falsehood, these are the uses that should not be. So, of course, in speech, the people of God are to be respectful and carry the weight that comes with uttering the powerful name of God in general language and, of course, in oaths and in prayers. 
but it's not just speech, it's action, right? We're talking ancient Israel. This was the beginning of nations being established. They weren't just born into one like America that already has its foundations and kind of what it means to be American. That always gets a little bit fluid, right? But still, at some level, you are American. And these were the great pioneers of the ancient world for all the other neighboring nations. Think about all the other neighboring nations. The question would have been, who are these wandering Israelites? Who are these people in the desert? And as everyone else worships something, who is their God? Is he greater than ours? Is he lesser than ours? Should we welcome them in? Should we fight them? What kind of people are they? Are they barbaric? Are they kind, right? So many questions. Who are these people? And whose name and banner do they come into our land? And here's what Yahweh wants everyone to see so far. A people who are wholly devoted to one God, Yahweh. They bear no images of other gods. They live in the identity and destiny of one God. Pretty awesome, right? But this begs the question for us looking back and trying to figure out this stuff theologically. What is that identity then? And what is that destiny that God is giving his people? So first, let's look at identity. Back in Exodus chapter 3, right, when God is talking to Moses through the burning bush, what does he say? He says, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, okay? Now skip Exodus 20, verse 2. Before he starts out the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So right away, these Israelites in the desert, they were not just part of the past. They are now a part of this grand narrative right then and there. When their children talk about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of Doug, or whoever their dad's name was, right? They were in this story now. They were the chapter being written in how God saved his people. But deeper deeper than that, they were becoming something different than just a people group that have a deity. They were becoming one with their God. And this is because God's presence was with them. When God is telling Israel a little bit later to go into the lands and, and, and he's giving them and to rid it of its idolatry and other God worship, he says, Deuteronomy 12, 4-5, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. Man, it was always established and not foreign that this one true Yahweh God would dwell among his people, that his name would be established among his people, his presence would be with his people, and this was the power of his divine name. Now, keeping this in mind, I want to jump to God coming to earth in the person of Jesus and what he reveals to us in this identity and destiny question of God's people. Again, the people of Jesus, or the people of Israel had a category from the Old Testament that God wanted to dwell with his people, okay? It was not foreign to them that God would come down and be with his people. The biggest scandal was, is that Jesus of Nazareth, or are they still waiting for someone? And I'll look at two Jesus passages today that are revealing um, to you. The first one is found in John 17. We find Jesus having this, this very intimate meeting and moment with his father God. 17.1, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Okay, anyone 
that has been given to Jesus, he has the authority to grant eternal life. And this eternal life is some like futuristic, off in the clouds, happy-go-lucky place, right? What does Jesus say? Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Relationship with God is this eternal life. Skip to verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And then later in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus' prayer is that we would be one with God like he is. That's unreal, right? To be under and in the name of Jesus is to have the same accessibility to God that Jesus has because it's by his name, not ours, that we are in. Also, it's not us who keep the name of God holy, right? We don't make God holy. It's his holiness and his holy name alone that makes it at all possible that we can be with him. Because he is so holy and because of the eternal gift of Jesus, we are welcome to bear the name and be kept by the name by the one true living God. And it's the Holy Father who keeps us in his name. It's his power and protection that comes with bearing the name. Right? Jesus ends with another word for what this means in the last line of John 17, 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So the name comes with God's love, the same love the Father had for the Son. This is how God views those who believe in the name, right? This is the identity of God's people that started in the desert and is manifested in the person of Jesus for all who believe, a people who are one with their God, he is their God and they are his people. This is the great identity of followers in the name of the Lord. But now there's a destiny that comes with this namesake. And this is the second Jesus passage. Okay, let's look at the destiny. Jesus is on a mountain. It's a little smaller than Sinai. But before the people giving this incredible sermon, okay, this is a sermon on the mount that covers an incredible amount of data that seems like it's just heaven downloading truth to earth right? That's why it's kind of hard to translate. And he drops this bomb, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Chills, right? Remember, vain is more like falsehood, right? These followers, they loved the power they received being in the name of the Lord, but it was not born out of love for the name, right? False following of the Lord is the vain. To use the name of the Lord in vain is to follow him falsely. This is one reason why Jesus spent so much time with the religious leaders, calling them hypocrites, because they were doing all the things in the name of the Lord, but with false motives, right? Representing the name of the Lord falsely. The same power that rose Jesus 
from the grave is in his followers, but it seems like it's possible to squander that power and not surrender to it, to let it just be there and waste it in vain. So the right destiny would be to surrender to and represent God's God well. And of course, here we could quote a thousand different scriptures of what that looks like, but I like how Paul summarizes it in Colossians, talking about this destiny we now have in Christ. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then later, verse 17, he says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now let's tie it all together. Remember the first two commandments. There's no other gods and no worship of the representation of these gods. Now God puts two in one. No other gods before me means I am the only God, and your representation of me will not be in falsehood. Okay? I wrote it this way. Of the you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I just said you shall not live in your God-given identity and God-given destiny falsely. Or what? The passage goes on. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. When we are in Christ Jesus, we are made new. The guilt we have in sin was washed clean, and now nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we are made one with Christ, we are also made one with the Father, and thus we've been given the rights to be called heirs to God's kingdom. Okay? There is no guilt for those who are truly in Christ Jesus, meaning in the name of the Lord. But to those who swear falsely to the Lord and represent him in word, but have no love for him, this is the warning. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain or takes his name falsely. Now, a good sermon would probably end here with like, here's five ways you can feel better about yourself, like, and know if you're guiltless or not, but this isn't, doesn't, this doesn't have to be a good sermon, okay? I actually like the weight of it just hanging there for us all to consider. What, think about Jesus. Jesus does this so often that it's frustrating, but it's just so Jesus, right? He says things like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what he says. Right? Jesus causes his followers to be self-reflective, self-evaluatory. Like the people at Sinai realize, we too also need to realize we're not just part of this past thing. Yeah, I follow the God of Abraham and Moses and Elijah and all the dudes and dudettes of the Bible. The Lord is your God. The Lord is my God right here, right now in Albany. Right? This is the name we are to love and to keep his commandments. And then anytime there is imperfection, which happens more often than not, Jesus is quick to meet it with grace because he is the great advocate for his people. We're not going to follow his commandments perfectly. That is the first step of the gospel, that we are not perfect enough to follow the law. Thus Christ fulfilled the law and our inadequacies are now covered by the grace of his perfection. I'm very excited later this, this year, we're going to go through the book of 1 John. I don't know if you guys have really dove into 1 John or not. It's, it's an amazing book. It's incredible. And I wanted to 
read this just this little snippet of it first um, that I think just gets to this point. This is First John chapter two. It says, "My little children, which I love, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Pretty straightforward, right? That last line, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is what it's all about. To do otherwise is to use the name of God in vain. It's to call ourselves really followers of ourselves, but using this religious language as a defense and thus kind of keeping ourselves under the law, which is ironic because the law is designed to show us that we need a Savior, right? And if, listen, if you're here today and you recognize that you need saving, or you did, you did recognize you needed saving, that Jesus, as God in the flesh, took our sins to the cross and he crucified them with his body, and then he rose again so that we could have new life in him. If you believe that, then you abide in him and him in you. When, now it's through his namesake, in the name of Jesus, his strength and grace, that we walk as he walked. And this is what it means to not take the Lord's name in vain. We get one life on earth to represent this great God. Let's not waste it, right? And let's be sure we're not doing it falsely covered in grace by the love of Jesus. And the best way to show that we are complete in our identity and our destiny as children of God, and the destiny is in God's hands, is to stop, right? It's just to stop everything. Stop trying to control our own identity. Stop trying to control our own destiny. To stop is to give up that sense of control. And there's a biblical word for this named Sabbath right? And this is next week. Like, I'm really excited. Jessie's going to be up here. She's going to teach us about Sabbath, how it lays into this Ten Commandments, but it flows, right? These Ten Commandments aren't just random, right? It's a flowing, right? A first recognizing the, those little G gods that so often want our attention. You shall have no other gods before me. No representation of those gods. You shall walk in the ways that I have given you, and one of the ways to give up any kind of like us trying to hold on to control is to just stop, right? And you shall rest. And we're going to learn all about what that means next week. But today, let's respond. Let's respond to this God that is so good, that has given us so much. Grace alone is why we are saved. And we can be so thankful for that, right? And let's be sure, let's not take the Lord's name in vain, but it is covered by grace, and it's not just our language. We need to be careful of how we're speaking, right? But it's how we are living. It's how we are living, that we ought to walk like Jesus walked. That's why we love him. That's why we give him all the praise. Let's sing to him. Let's pray with each other, right? Um, I'll be in the back too if you want prayer for anything. I uh, would love to pray with you. Um, 
giving is so important for us. Um, it's not just about money. It's about actually our hearts as well, right? These treasures, these are, these are huge things that can have holds over our life and being able to give so that the community can be blessed is big. And then the biggest thing is receive. Sheena, thank you, Sheena, has, has made communion for us. And just to have the time, I don't, know, I don't know throughout your weeks how much we think about Jesus, think about his grace, think about what he has done and now the accessibility, the oneness we can have with the Father because of him, right? But just to take this time and just say, Jesus, the, the, the bread and the juice just to represent your body and your blood that sacrificed for me so that I can have God's presence in my life is incredible. So let's go to the tables, right? When you're ready, and just pray with one another and let's worship our good, good God and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me pray and let's go.